I should say first, uh, in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals, open with me to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 28. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 28, which you can find on page 884. These are a little longer questions and answers. We'll read still responsively. Starting at question 75, Lord's Day 28, we'll read these questions responsively. It says, concerning the sacraments, how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord, Given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So far from our catechism, uh, faithful summary, uh, useful, uh, direct and pithy teaching, in this case related to the sacraments, the use of the sacraments in pointing our attention to the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Let's turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 in the New Testament. Beginning at verse 
35. John 6 at verse 35. It says there, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live Because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So far from God's holy word, your congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, in these recent weeks, in this series in the Heidelberg Catechism, we've been dealing with the sacraments, that is, with baptism and the Lord's Supper, or communion. Christ gave us two sacraments and commanded them um, as his gift and as a sign and a seal of our faith in his sacrifice on the cross. By these means, God strengthens our faith, and that's what Jesus means when he says, you know, if they look to me, you look to the Son of Man, that is, in his death and resurrection, in his crucifixion, Look to me. By these means, God is strengthening our faith and he is communicating, that is, delivering to us his grace uh, for those who put their trust in him. He wants us to faithfully use the sacraments, which are means, right, of the delivery of God's gift to us, his grace in Jesus Christ. When it comes to the sacraments, we don't want to undervalue, uh, we don't want to overvalue uh, underemphasize, overemphasize 
uh, to our spiritual harm or confusion. And that often happens with the sacraments, um, you know, so that it's like we're, we're looking for, uh, you know, a certain target. And, you know, you miss, you can miss in more than one way. You can underthrow, you can overthrow. Neither of them hit the target, but we're looking for something important in the sacraments. Not going wildly over, not going wildly under. Uh, when it comes to these faith-building gifts. We don't want to trivialize them and make them into a, a sort of a minor thing, a cute ceremony, something where we, we go through the motions and where you know, really it's, it's just sort of something we do, but there's nothing really coming through. And in that way, um, uh, you know, it's less than a sacrament. That is, it's less than delivering Christ in his fullness, the way that he preaches here and teaches here that's full of power. We don't want to miss that and say, oh, well, it's just sort of a, it's a way for us to remember him. This is something more to eat and drink the flesh and blood of the son of God is not a trivial or light thing. And neither do we want to over, um, do we want to overemphasize or overthrow in the sense that, you know, to take the sacrament that is the very act itself apart from Jesus, nevertheless is, is powerful all by itself. The power is with him and it is in him, not in the thing itself. And, and those would be ways that, that we have undershot and overshot the sacrament in our, you know, in our thinking. Uh, so that uh, we want to be sure that our faith, properly hearing God's word and properly using the sacraments is nourished in every way, is blessed by God and filled in every way. And the sacraments are intended to minister a spiritual action of God in the deep places of our hearts and of our souls. So it's not just a matter of, you know, eating and drinking and digesting, but it is a matter of the soul's nourishment for eternal life. And this is perceived by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we share with Christ. So we want to be sure that our faith perceives the heart and the goal of the sacraments. And that is to be fixed on Christ in his uh, crucifixion. Uh, and also then in the meaning of his resurrection. And make a proper connection for our spiritual growth. So that we're eating and drinking as it, his death. And we're also then through him. And through feeding on his death, sharing in his life. So through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, the sacrament of Holy Communion assures us of our unity with Jesus in both his suffering death and his glorious new life. That's sort of put, to put it in a, in, a, in a word. Through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, the sacrament of communion assures us of our unity with Christ, both in his suffering, death, crucifixion, and in his resurrected life. And we want to begin by thinking about God's sure promises in the sacrament. These are what we have you know, gleaned from the scripture and tried to use that language. These are signed, these are sealed to us by means of a very simple spiritual meal and very simple things, that is bread and wine. Jesus promised resurrection and eternal life. Come to those who eat and drink his body and blood. And this is, this is a matter of faith, right? That, that by way of bread and wine, we are feasting on his flesh and blood. But, but it's, uh, still, it's delivered to us in hopefully what is a very simple way. 
how many, you know, how many restaurants do you think you've been to in your entire life? You know, could you even count at this point? And, you know, how many of them were good and how many of them were bad? And, and you know, it, we ask ourselves, like, how many meals in our, li- our lives are memorable? Even, you know, maybe you remember your, your, you know, the best restaurant in this city or the, be- you know, the best meal I had, you know, on uh, you know, this vacation or that, this place or that place that I can't get here. But other than that, most of the meals we eat, they fall into obscurity. They sort of fade away. That along with, you know, the dinners and all the meals at home as well. And only a few of them really stand out, you know, as really good or really terrible. Most of them are more in the matter of routine. They're more in the matter of necessity. I need food to function. And each day I eat, and it's sort of a part of life. If I don't eat, you know, all of a sudden I'll you know, start breaking down or, you know... Uh, that would be a strange thing if one day I just decided I won't eat it all today. Like that wouldn't be the normal for us. We don't, we don't usually make a habit of counting what meals we had unless, you know, we have some special diet. I got to count all my calories, you know, but that's, that's not the normal practice. You know, if everything is fine, we don't count normal things in life. How many times did I check my phone? How many times did I check the weather? How many times did I check, you know, the time, uh, you know, how many times did I change my clothes this week or this month? I don't know. I just, I wear clothes every day, a lot, I guess. Or I check my phone all the time, checking for messages. I didn't even count. Well, Jesus taught that a very extraordinary salvation that's built around a one-time incredible sacrifice of the perfect Son of God is delivered in a very regular, very repeated, very... Uh, um, sort of ordered uh, part of our worship that, that we're reminded and we're filled with the significance of that one incredible and extraordinary act. See, that's why I named the sermon this way, the ordinary incredible sacrament. You have this one-time unique event, the death and resurrection of the Son of God, but it's delivered in the, in the most understated way, in an ordinary way. In the Supper, the Catechism tells us we, we see... Something ordinary with our eyes. Broken bread at the table. A cup of wine poured out. And that's no sight that ever made anyone jump. And no one who visited our worship ever was like, whoa, you know, this, they did this inc- insane thing. They ate bread and they had a little bit of wine. You know, no one, no one would say that's particularly strange by itself. Like, ah, you know, bread. <laughs> if you never see, no, one would, no one would jump out of their seat over that as though that's a rare thing. And yet, uh, it is connected to, according to our faith, something that cannot be duplicated ever again. There's no one like Jesus. There's never been someone who could bear the weight of our sins and die the death that he died and rise to the life that he lives. There's no one like him. And in that way, you have something that is duplicated in our lives, you know, with a thousand meals, 10,000 meals, 100,000 meals, uh, and that is... Delivered in an ordinary way here, but is connected by faith to something extraordinary that we must believe. And as you watch the bread break, and as you see the wine poured, which are really the only things emphasized right at this table, then God is reminding you that Jesus is really broken for you on the cross. His flesh is torn. His blood is poured out. And, and that very ordinary thing 
is the remembrance of something that is extraordinary beyond anything that this world has known. The perfect Son of God dying in the death of the crucifixion. And we know that he was offered for our sake. The second ordinary thing connected to the extraordinary thing, you know, is is our senses, right? The touching and the tasting. Um, I hold and I taste these simple things, bread and wine, and it tastes like all the bread that I've ever eaten. And it smells like all the wine maybe that I've ever had before. And just like I feed my body regularly with decent food, hopefully not only coffee and chocolate and garbage, you know, but some actual decent food every once in a while, just like that would be the right thing to do to be functioning normally and to be able to, you know, do everything that we have to do without breaking down, uh, to be physically strengthened for all the normal stuff of life. So it is normal, it is only normal, that, that a person who wants to be spiritually healthy will feed on Jesus and there is no other food. And all other religious fare will end up doing us great harm or will poison us uh, or will leave us you know, hungering and empty and really you know, sort of strung out. It won't do what only Jesus, the true bread of heaven, can do. And this we need to know or we cannot be saved. And it's a fascinating thing that he does here in this passage, describing for them how he comes down from heaven as that true bread. And they're, they're, they're having a hard time comprehending what he's really telling them. Our souls cannot live apart from Jesus. And there is no feeding of spiritual things. You can't feed on this world and be spiritually strong. You can't eat the things of this world and, and spiritually grow. You will diminish and then you will fade out and die. But you will not grow and you will not be sustained for eternal life apart from feeding on his flesh and blood. And that is an exclusive and unique claim that goes along with something simple, right? I have to eat to live, physically speaking. And if I want to live, spiritually speaking, I have to feed on Jesus. There is no other. And we're meant to know that and we're meant to see that in the supper. So, you know, we, we're challenged by this. Isn't it true? Uh, you know, very often we don't, we don't really think about ordinary things. Um, we just take them for granted and go on. And, you know, often it's, it's not until they're missing. Like I said, you know, I, I don't really think about eating. Maybe I need to think about it more because I'm, you know, blah, 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 all day, like grabbing a little bit of everything. And, and maybe, you know, I have my meals and then some and I should think about it. But but I'll tell you what I do think about the day that I forget to eat, uh, the day that that I you know missed a meal or I was too busy. And, you know, so I missed it. So I'll just wait. And by the time, you know, that dinner is coming, like now I'm really hungry. Like today I don't, I don't eat. You know, all I have is coffee. And some of cake from Bob, and that's you know that's it. And you know by the time all this is done, like ah, I'm ready, I'm ready to eat. Now I missed it, um, so I don't remember all the things I ate. But then when I miss something ordinary, you know, then that really matters. Or like you know, my kids will get in the car for some event or other, and, and be like, oh yeah, I didn't I didn't bring a sweater, you know, I, or I didn't I forgot my shoe. <laughs> 
you know, that's an ordinary thing, but now that you're missing it, that's kind of a big deal. You're going to this event and you don't have your shoe or you don't have, you know, whatever you needed for some sport or you know, whatever it is. We miss that regular thing and suddenly there's an outcry. Well, you know, so it is uh, that many today have a very callous attitude towards the church and towards the communion of the saints that is communing around God's word and around God's sacraments, particularly, you know, around the table in the fellowship of this meal. And against God's command, they don't have a sense of urgency or the need to be fed at Christ's table. And with a very numb attitude, we don't have a sense of urgency about attention, you know, to the humble um, and necessary things of the Lord to be dependent on him, to walk with him, to love him, and to love each other. And in that way, um, we, will, we will come up against a stark reality when it comes to spiritual starvation. You know, we neglect prayer, we neglect God's word. Even worse, we neglect his worship, we ne- and in so doing, his uh, preaching and his sacraments. And we will hit a wall in our spiritual life. And there is a reckoning for these things from God that he says this is the normal way to be fed, to hear the preaching of his word and to sign and seal it in his sacraments. And we say, no, I'm going to make a new regular and it's going to be like energy drinks and, you know, snacks or, you know, it's like it's, it's unhealthy. Like my chips and my energy drinks that, I, you know, that that's the equivalent right, of my sort of substitute spiritual life. And we will pay for it. We will pay the cost in spiritual weakness, feebleness, shallowness. Uh, And, you know, this, this generation has not reckoned with that thought. And we are destroyed for lack of knowledge of God's word. And we are destroyed for lack of serious uh, seriousness about the purpose of our fellowship in the communion of the saints at God's table. So there are some, uh, you know, beyond this who drag down this passage uh, with a worldly mind. Jesus speaks very strongly here. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. These are his words. And well, he should speak this way because those who have believed in him, they receive his sacrifice as their very own. The language is very serious. But you can see that his detractors, they cling to this world and to the thinking of this world, and and they don't have a mind of faith, so that they can't get over these statements to their purpose, to their goal, which is from God. You know, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, this is, you know, this is nonsense. And for that matter, the cross is foolishness. Um, This strong language seems like nothing to them. An earthly mind cannot and will not perceive the value of the sacraments. Uh, so we, when we cling to the things themselves, yeah, we're, we're, going to, we're going to miss the point of this. It's the faith bond that we're looking for. Jesus called us, right, to have strong faith in him. And by way of the sacrament, our faith is exercised. It is as real as eating and drinking that my soul through faith is, is, uh, is commu- grace is communicated to my soul. 
That's why in our form you'll hear, you know, that our faith is the hand and mouth, right, of the soul. Our faith is receiving Jesus and consuming uh, every benefit of his. uh, Really and truly, we are spiritually fed on his sacrifice. Our souls are nourished for eternal life. It's not show. It's not pageantry. It's not empty motions. Jesus himself teaches, without, without this kind of faith, we cannot receive his life. And he promises as much in John 6. It's to, receive, it's to be received, not just outwardly, but what, what the outward action is to be matched by the strength of our faith in a way that can't be seen, it can't be touched, it can't, you know. So these spiritual things, they're signed and sealed outwardly in the sacrament. And that's God's design. The continued work of the Holy Spirit uses this supper to unite us regularly more and more to Jesus Christ. The language of the catechism is very strong. It, it sort of sounds like the language of marriage. You know, one, as it were, one flesh in Jesus. That is what we are. Flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. The church is his bride. The apostles teach elsewhere. So the, the language is warranted. But this is, this is uh, another way that that's true. We have Christ's spirit. He's anointed, you know, and full, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have his spirit. And we are being made to be the body under one head, Jesus Christ. So that language is sort of uh, not only physical. Uh, there's a variety of, of sort of cross purposes there in the scripture to show the intense unity that God has in mind there, the bond of faith, that God makes us holy by a variety of means, but this is certainly one of the primary means by which he is accomplishing it, that we humble ourselves, examine ourselves, and come to the table expecting God to build our faith. And that will build our faith through the course of our lives. You know, what was, what was your mom's goal when she fed you so many meals in life? Was it your harm? Was it so that you would waste away and die? You know, your mom wanted you to grow up. Your mom wanted you to be fed. Your mom wanted you to excel. Uh, and she fed you and fed you and fed you. And none of those single meals launched you ahead, you know, 10 years of childhood development. They just launched you into another day, right? One more day, one more afternoon, one more night uh, by way of, you know, that feeding. And so it is that God is also building our faith, sometimes slower than we want him to or not in the way that we anticipate. But it's regular and it's simple and it's lowly and um, it requires constant you know, attention and a regular pattern. How, how, is it that, how is it that we can understand this in all the normal sort of patterns of our life and yet with church, what should it be? You know, 10 years of Christian development in a day? Should it be a magical zap from God? Or, you know, this is how a lot of churches are acting, frankly. Zap, you know, and we, you know, we jump around or do things that we think are you know, showing spirituality. But God is slowly, humbly, and step by step building our faith and building our maturity. And this is one very important feeding in a pattern 
that he's doing for us. Think about the people who fed you most in your life. They love you, generally. I mean, no one, no one, no one feeds you continually for your harm. The people who fed you, you would say, you know, generally speaking, these are people who love me. These are people who care about me. And so it is that God wants us to feed on his word regularly. And it is a loving purpose of his. And practically speaking, he demonstrates right in front of our face the love that he has. And he points our attention back to where he has done the deepest acts of love that the world has ever known. That he sent his son to shed his blood and to give his life for ours. So God has carefully laid the foundation for our faith and is building on that foundation. And he provides the power of his spirit and powerful means for delivering his grace. And that is through the the proclamation of Christ as the center of his purpose, the very bread of heaven, and by way of the sacraments that show his body and blood, which are our cleansing, which are our feeding for eternal life. This is something that God has done. And the apostles urged us by these means to grow. And they did not leave us empty. God has given his spirit and his word and sealed his sacraments. And and we are taught to use them. And they are explained to us and they are opened up to us. And we see the example of this in, in all the churches of the New Testament as the apostles carried it out. To feed on Christ as we've been commanded as we've been commissioned, as we've been shown, a life that, that now is, is in step with the meal times, the feedings that God has provided for us so that, that we have this, this regular pattern in our lives, patterns of worship and of the use of his sacraments and a life that is centered around those, built around those, You know, it's not the first time we would have said, you know, in our worship or in relation to the sacraments that, you know, depending on what house you live, it can be very tense if you decide you're going to skip a meal and not say anything about it. You know, dinner's ready, you're dingling, and, uh, nah, I just won't. What? You know, like, you know, some of our moms, that might be like a, that might be a nuclear war that we just started. I'm not coming. What? You know, I, w- I won't be there. You know, I, I made you this meal. You don't care. Okay, then there might not, you know, there won't be one for you, right? Or there won't be one tomorrow. Or, it's, you know, it's, it'll be a serious uh, shot across the bow uh, if we have no intention of, you know, living uh, within that pattern of the family mealtime. Well, it's a serious thing in the church, a very serious thing that God has called us, you know, to the communion of the saints He has called us to worship publicly, not just on our own, how we feel like, when we feel like, but in communion and in community. And if we say, nah, you know, I'm not interested, the effects there can be very harmful and they're detrimental to God's household when all of us are meant to be fed and to receive the feeding that he has in mind for us. You know, what is more, we live in a time of worldly appetites Men and women want what is exciting to them. They want what makes them feel good. They want to binge on the world. 
but then still have Jesus. And the apostles were teaching us how to live in step with the Spirit and how to reconcile the fact that that we can't be feeding and feasting at the table of demons. We can't be feeding and feasting on the things of this world and then presume to come to the table uh, where the purity of Jesus is central. And, you know, so this requires a change in the pattern of life, and it's a confrontation for us every time we come to the table to say, you know, is my, is my faith and my heart right with God? Not that I've done everything perfectly or that I'm sinless, but, but is my life steered uh, and centered on the things of Christ? Not, you know, not the things of this world, and not apathetic to him, but growing in him and racing towards his kingdom and finding that his feeding is the one that I need and not the things of this world. This is, this is the challenge for us as it relates to self-examination at the table, the heart of, the heart of faith that perceives what, is, what does it mean to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus and for him to be my true heavenly bread and the manna that feeds my soul. If we are meditating on these things, we will be careful then, more circumspect about what we're feeding on day by day in all the regular things of life. So today the table is ready. It's prepared for all those who repent and believe and put their faith in Jesus, who rightfully and truly have the desire to be a part of his body as it's building up in its strength under Christ the head. For now, right, the meal is graciously given and God sends out an invitation and God calls each of us to turn from worldly pursuits to feed on true food with a cost that he has paid, one that we can't buy, and with, um, uh, with uh, you know, a, a feast and, and preparations that, that we didn't deserve or we weren't the first invited, but now it's open to us because of what Jesus has done. He's paid that cost. And the day is coming where the door will be closed, where no one else is getting in to that feast, Right. The, the parables also speak of this time where, you know, we, we need a sense of urgency about what it is to to participate in his table, not to wait until some other moment. So these are the last days and soon Jesus will return. Those who have delayed will find that their hunger will be eternal. There's no more opening. And. Jesus then is calling out, and today if you hear his voice, why, why would you spiritually starve when God has given everything for your growth and for your satisfaction? It's time to put our faith in him, not to go hungry, to believe on him, to feed on him, and to find that his words are true. No one who feeds on his flesh and blood will waste away or you know, uh, sort of fade out Uh, or perish, but those who feed on him, they will be raised up uh, and nourished for everlasting life. Amen. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer that receiving the feeding that you provide and 
being enriched by the gifts that you have given, that is the very body and blood of Jesus, that we would not perish, not fall apart, not find that we are spiritually empty and starved, but instead grow up into everlasting life with every blessing of Jesus as our clear portion. He is the wisdom that you have sent from above. He is the bread of life that you have rained down from heaven to earth. Now, Lord, we pray that remembering him, knowing him, and feeding on him, we would live truly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.